and welcome to the A to Z Sports Preds Nashcast, aka maybe playoffs, maybe not, aka suddenly Detroit is relevant again, but not really. I'm your host, Alex Darty, and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Link. Today on the show, the Preds finish off their season series with Chicago, and though it had one really bad moment, or a couple of really bad moments, uh, it went just fine. 7-0-1 against the Blackhawks. We're going to talk about those three games this week. Also, today, it is a first for the Preds Nashcast. We have a third voice on today's show. We will introduce him in just a second. We're very excited about that. And uh, and then one thing that this guest is going to help us figure out, uh, along with uh, Link, of course, is what is going to happen to this Preds lineup when they get Philip Forsberg back and also Dante Fabro, who should be back soon as well. Philip Forsberg, Dante Fabro should be coming back very soon, maybe even this week. So we're going to do some roster shuffling, figure out what this roster is going to look like. But without further ado, Link, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm a little concerned that our alternative show names are just getting wildly out of control. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's because we're because you know being remote or, or not having these we're just we're just getting out of touch with the common world. But uh, there's this descent into some kind of madness that uh, I'm I'm here for. But uh, one day it's just gonna be one day it's gonna be like a, a, a full paragraph. It's going to be half the show, is it's the just, name of the show. It's just going to be me sobbing for like 30 <laughs> seconds. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and meet our guest today. Uh, he comes to us from On The Forecheck, where he is a writer and a podcaster. Please welcome Nick Morgan to the show. Nick, how you doing? Alex, Link, thank you for having me on. Longtime listener, first time caller, or Zoomer, or whatever technology is bringing us all together as a Preds family today. Awesome, uh, yeah. So, so Excited to be here. Now, wait a minute. When you say long-time listener, are you talking about going back to Predcast days, or are you talking about just this A to Z uh, podcast? Well, I listened to you back in the Forecheck podcast days. Oh, okay. Uh, so, not nice. to sound like a hipster or anything like that, but... There you go, uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. wow, wait. That was a long... Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a, few, a few years ago. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, I know that I listened to the Predcast and then came on board, uh, obviously, with, with Link. And so I was a little starstruck whenever I, I first recorded with Link, you know, the first few times. <laughs> were you, were you, you were replacing Martell. So, was I? Were you replacing Martell or Dan? I forget. I don't know. I mean, I think it was kind of like Dan was unsure if he wanted to do it. And, and so I don't know, this is probably Aaron, memory, Aaron yeah, memory lane. I can't remember. I just know there was that, <laughs> that lineup shuffle for like three seasons. I just know. Yeah, that's true. I, I just know that I know that Dan was, uh, was po- possibly not going to be doing it. And he just wanted some other voices on. And then, uh, and now he's, you know, he's, he's doing great, but I, I think, I think the show is better whenever we have uh, people on that have, you know, differing opinions or at least different voices and everything. And if we have, if you have a whole room full of people who talk and, and say the same things, it's not interesting. And I think Nick, you have a really good perspective and your, your, the podcast and on the four check is, is doing really well. So uh, thanks for coming on. Appreciate yeah, it. Well, well, thank you. And if, if we start to agree, I can certainly throw out a hot take and start shouting at you guys too, just to add a few clicks, add some are, drama. Are you, are you, are you angry that John Hines is not playing Pecorine like the Facebook moms? Well, absolutely. Clearly, John Hines hates Pecorine. Uh, he's clearly trying to tank the last uh, two two weeks prime of his career or whatever he has left in the tank. <laughs> well, no, Nick, let me rephrase that question from Alex. Do you do you think John Hines hates the Facebook moms? 
No, I think he loves the Facebook moms. I think that's his number one fan club right there. I think John Hines's family might be part of the Facebook mom group. I mean, right. he he's like the poster child for like the modern dad bod and like you're in your 50s, that kind of genre. He's like perfect for that. He's the guy that you would see on the sidelines of a Saturday morning soccer game with that cup of coffee that might have a little spike Kahlua in there. I think that's, that's, you see John Hines like on the fields at Warner park in Williamson County every weekend. And, and jumping into the huddle, jumping into the huddle at halftime and just talking about mental focus and, and uh, how the players are are really, uh, they need to get back to their, their basics and get their formation back. And when, when in reality, the bumblebees are a bunch of five-year-olds who all they want to do is drink some Capri Suns and go to get pizza after the game. Wow, Alex, that was getting real. That got, I felt like that was, you, you were just painting a picture of, of reality. Like you just brought some real life experience. <laughs> I feel like my childhood was just brought into play right there. I I, I feel, I'm pretty sure that I was on a soccer team called the Bumblebees. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was. But anyways, let's talk about this uh, this hockey team that we've been following for so many years. All right, so the Predators had three games against the Chicago Blackhawks, um, their last three in the series this year. And uh, Monday's win, let's talk about Monday's win first because that was the, the easier of the of the three. Uh, Matt Duchesne returns. UC Soros was great as usual. The Blackhawks just looked like kind of out of gas by the end of the game. Uh, the Yarncroft Grandland line was really good. They had two points each. Uh, the, the only thing that I really remember about this game is that, uh, is that just kind of how easy it was. It was pretty, a pretty boring five to two win for the Predators that the Blackhawks were just not really in it. I remember not even realizing that the Blackhawks had switched goalies. <laughs> they, they, Kevin Lankinen gave up the fifth goal and then, uh, Malcolm Subban came in. I didn't even realize that that happened. I looked down and all of a sudden Malcolm Subban's in goal. It was a pretty easy win, right? You know, it, it, Here's the weird. Here's the thing. It kind of looked that way, but then when I was refreshing my memory in this game, I looked at it. and I was like, I need to go back and watch the footage because none of like none of the numbers matched what I actually saw on the screen, which is one of those infuriating games because you kind of want it to to like. I always like when the game looks like what the numbers look like, mm-hmm. and I get just get annoyed when it's not. And that's it's like reviewing the game. It shouldn't have been like what it was, but sometimes your goaltenders just can't figure anything out and don't pull anything off. And that's what the best Chicago had that night. And yeah. honestly, I mean, the Predators were still the better team, regardless of what the end ending score was. Uh, mm-hmm. They were you know, hands down better team. So uh, it, it was the kind of win I would expect this team to have over the Hawks night in, night out. Yeah. To me, I think that's, you summed it up pretty well. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of memorable stuff from that game. Uh, I think the Blackhawks goaltending certainly contributed to that because, you know, it's not like the Preds were putting mountains and mountains of chances on net. They just happened to sneak a few past there early. The one thing mm-hmm. I do remember, maybe Tanner Janot's best game as a Pred. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing that stood out to me. Um, so far this year, he kind of had like the Yakov Trenin vibe from last year where he was really fun to watch, throwing his body around, but maybe not as well-rounded as he is this year. Uh, Tanner Janot seemed like he played more of a 200-foot game in this one. I think that's kind of given Preds a little bit of vibes of what they can expect from Janot, maybe high-end in the next couple of years. 
Yeah, I, I'm so looking forward to a future Predators team where the bottom six is just a bunch of high-functioning bottom six players and not a bunch of scraps that Poil signed to between like league minimum and $1.5 million one-year <laughs> contracts. Like That's been Poil's like, approach to, to that, that section of the team. And there's too much... And this is a weird sentence. There's too much bottom six talent in this organization to not to, to sign these bad contracts, these pointless contracts. So I love to see guys like Jeannot step up and, and you know, try to continue to grow into that role. And Sissons uh, actually find a bit of more bit of footing where he doesn't look a little bit out of place or a little bit redundant. So it's um, almost like yeah, they, it's nice to see. It's almost like they forgot. Oh, yeah, we're really good at drafting bottom six players. <laughs> well, it's hey, not like we the- it's not like the uh, Peter Laviolette strategy where you just take any top six forward who didn't make the top six and throw them at fourth line center. Yeah. Kyle, like, Turris. Oh, Kyle, Kyle Turris, I'm sure, can go out and play defense for 12 minutes a game. Yikes. Yeah. Poyles, Poyles never drafted a center that he couldn't play on the fourth line left wing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so is that where Forsberg's coming back when he uh, gets healthy? Oh <laughs> Philip Forsberg next to Colton Sissons and Tanner Janot? Okay. All right, Nick, it's been fun, but we're going to have to let you go on that right there. there. There's the, you there's brought the one this, contrarian. You there's brought this contrarian. into this house. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you did this. Man, I, I actually went through a deep dive of Pred's fourth lines over the last like 10 years. I tried to, tried to do as best I could, like who they are. I, well, I'll have to show it to you at some point. Maybe maybe later in the show we can go over that. It's, it's uh, pretty hilarious looking at all the names. I mean, it's pretty Sounds bad. like a future article on A to Z Sports. Sounds like it. Actually, yeah, actually if you want to, if you want to co-write that, that could be like a special edition episode with us, uh, Alex. I there would definitely go. go over that history with you. That is that is your wheelhouse. I think it's that is. Like, oh yeah, like really like, niche, like very specifically focused audience of like ten people that would actually like enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I was on the OTF masthead for like three years after I stopped writing. It is like maybe maybe he'll do something worthwhile again. Maybe. <laughs> bring the taylor beck fans back into the forefront there you go taylor beck was on there hey last time i saw taylor beck play was in Le- uh was in uh downtown allentown the lehigh valley's phantom lehigh valley phantom game i, I don't think i don't know if he was playing for the fans but he was playing for like the bridgeport sound tigers or something sound tigers yeah i was getting some yeah. some hot taylor beck photos i was taking and posting on twitter it was great <laughs> Nice. Um, all right. So then, so that's Monday's game, and then the Predators get the uh, the disaster Wednesday. So they they're up four to one in the third period, uh, and in less than three minutes, that lead is has evaporated. John Hines talked about the reason being that the net front defense totally evaporated, which is which is uh, yeah, that's what I saw. I mean, like I saw a lot of bad things happen. All of a sudden, the Blackhawks just like became the 97 Detroit Red Wings and just scored whenever they wanted to. Um, and uh, yeah, so then they, they, they tie it up and then they lose the game in overtime. What, what did you guys think about this d- particular disaster? Well, it was a particular disaster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it always around. You mentioned Saros uh, in, in context of the first game this week. Uh, those last three goals weren't exactly the best goals he's allowed as a predator. Um, you know, it kind of threw back to, you know, some of the problems he was having earlier in the year where he wasn't stopping the shots he should be stopping. Um, but you know, I like the response later in the week and I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you, you, it was kind of a throwback game where one thing went wrong and then, 
you know, the, the walls caved in, you know, it was kind of like the Preds we saw from, you know, the past couple years where one thing went wrong and just everything went wrong after that. It's definitely one of those games you look at and say, it's a good thing that no one hockey game really matters. Cause I mean, they came out of the week with five or six possible points. So you may have this disaster, this momentary disaster, but it doesn't look bad going forward. It doesn't really hurt the team's playoff chances that much. I mean, now granted it could come down to a very tight point swing with Dallas potentially. Uh, so if they'd miss out by one point, then, you know, I can be, I can be the dummy. Um, I'm usually fine with that. The thing, the thing that drove me nuts about that game is not even that, that mistaken collapse. It's how dominant that team, the team was. Yeah. And they just, they were, they just, kept getting goals and kept kind of pushing down the gas pedal and pushing harder and harder and harder. And I kind of wonder if it was like a little bit of like an Icarus moment. They were just so confident, feeling so good about themselves. Like, Oh, we can do whatever we want. We can make, we can take risks. We can do fancy plays. And they got a little too close to the sun and got burned. And all of a sudden things just collapsed on them. I mean, it was, it was bizarre to watch. I mean, I was taking the dog in and out at the time and like, I would go out and come in like, it's like it would suddenly be like four. Now it's four, two. Now it's four, three. I'm like, this is, this is not great. <laughs> I could just see the look on my, on, on Abby's face when I would come in. Cause she, you know, kind of glance up when it was making a bunch of noise. She's like, this isn't going well. <laughs> no, it's, it's not going well. <laughs> this is very different than when I left. Yeah. yeah I was like, Oh, welcome. Malcolm Subban was was really pretty good in that game. I mean, like, yeah, the Predators put on forty shots in that game, and yeah, you're right. They they were like dominating. I mean, they they were. It was like you were just kind of waiting for like the fifth and sixth goals to go in. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was it was pretty it was pretty crazy to watch. Um. But uh, you know, it's kind of how I think about it, like you know, in any given series, uh, against one particular team. And it's it's more apparent in when there's fewer games in a season. You know, you normally only play like six games against uh, against an opponent. Uh, this year, you have eight. Um, you're gonna have this like crazy, weird kind of bounce backs where, like, even no matter how bad the team is, um, they're gonna they're gonna get something on you. And that's kind of what it felt like some sort of weird correction uh, against the Blackhawks, where like all those goals that they probably should have scored earlier in the year, maybe I mean not all of them, but some of them kind of came back and uh it, it just seemed very strange and then all that kind of changed on on saturday when the predators won their the, the last game so they won that one three to one uc saros was great again um i, I th- this game wasn't particularly didn't stand out to me in any more than any of the other ones just that uc saros was a, a huge key to it and the the blackhawks were probably better uh, than than the Predators for much of it, but the but UC Soros was just really really yeah. good. So I mean, it was it was a good bounce back game um, after what it could have been really demoralizing. It, it it was also a reminder that that Chicago is not a dreadful team. They're way performing they're performing better than a lot of us thought they were going to. You know, the back of some decent goaltending and and Patrick Kane having a phenomenal season. Yeah, um, a, you know. Pius Suter coming out as like a real player, um, you know, a few other things, but like you even look at it, it, it was super tight. We we're like, I think it was like down to like 0.07 expected goal difference with the Predators having a little advantage. So, I mean, when you look at it in it, it backwards, super, super close, but you know, at the end of the day, the Predators are finding ways to just be a little bit tighter, get a little bit better goaltending coming out on top. 
and the big thing, the mental toughness coming back from it. I mean, they didn't collapse. They came out and made a statement, finished off the Blackhawks, 7-0-1 seven, seven, across this season. Can't complain about that. I mean, that's a phenomenal spread. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, we were talking earlier this week uh, on the on the Forecheck podcast, is there's always, there seems to be like those teams that certain teams don't match up well against. It doesn't matter how talented they are, where they are in the standings. Um, you know, for a long time, uh, that was Tampa Bay with Nashville. The Lightning couldn't beat Nashville. This year, it's Nashville with, with Carolina. For some reason, they just don't play well against Carolina. The past two years, it seems like Chicago... Uh, is like that with Nashville, that for whatever reason, no matter how good the Blackhawks have been and how much talent they have, there's just something about the way that Nashville plays that doesn't jive well with Chicago. And, you know, I think we saw, you know, as Alex mentioned earlier, there's eight games this year. A lot of the divisional games are kind of we're hypersensitive to the way people are playing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we're noticing it more that just in, in a perfect world, Nashville seems to just kind of always have a little bit of an edge over Chicago game wise. Yeah. I I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, Nashville has the, has a significant edge in goaltending in, in, in that matchup in that particular matchup. I mean, it's, it really, it really does kind of, this year has been so obvious to me about how different teams can be when they have good goaltending. Think about Carolina, like, for years, Carolina. I mean, that Carolina team is not that different from the Carolina teams that I've been watching for the last five years. It's just they have good goaltending. Like mm-hmm. they've always been like really good offensively and pretty good defense defensively, but like they never had the goaltending. Now they have it, and they're like the best team in the division. And the Predators have just been better than the Blackhawks because like their goaltending has been better. The Blackhawks ever since. I mean, other than like that one weird year where Corey Crawford like kind of stood on his head. Like, I mean, he's, he's a good goaltender, but he's gone and now they have no, they don't really have anything. And they had to deal with, who did they get uh, from, from Scott Darling or I don't even know who their goaltending is. I mean, they've had Malcolm Subban and someone named Forsberg and now they got this Lankinen guy who's pretty good, but you know, he's just a rookie. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like so much of this is, is on goaltending. Well, I mean, elite goaltending can paper over a lot of cracks. I mean, unless your team is really <laughs> messed up like Anaheim where poor, poor John Gibson is just like a, a possibly yeah. like one of the great like goaltenders in the league. Who's just, it's a good point. I mean, yeah. he, Gibson's a guy who would probably be in the, the Vesna conversation if he wasn't playing such yeah. a crappy team. I mean, granted, I mean, the Vesna conversation is so messed up that kind of how doesn't even get like in the conversation half the time, even if he is currently like the best goaltender in the league in terms of just raw numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that is a huge make or break. Um, I mean, we saw Carolina has a history. They won a cup on the back of ridiculous goaltending. Right. Um, so it, it absolutely is vital. And, that, and that's the same thing. I mean, as down as I am on the Predators playoff chances, you know, they go up against Carolina and the goaltending roulette stops differently and and suddenly yeah. everything's turned on its head it's yeah. very possible it happens a lot it's how you go on those crazy runs well we saw it last year when the predators ran into darcy kemper i mean yeah i mean i would say other than that first game i mean the predators outplayed arizona that entire series from the second period of that first game on it was just they ran into kemper yeah i mean the predators entire playoff run from uh, what was it like 2010 to, you know, 2013. Yeah. From 2013 or whenever it was, 
that was because Pekka Rene took a decent, okay Predators team and turned them into, you know, somebody who brought a couple of cup champs to, um, to the brink. So, uh, and since Saros has come back from injury, 945 save percentage, 12, four and one. So it's crazy. And that's, that's why I'm still like holding on to the little bit of hope about the Preds playoff chances, because right now, Saros looks like a guy who's good enough to not only get them in, but maybe play well enough to steal a series, steal a couple yeah. of series. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to compare goaltending styles, but it, I think the injury time for Saros was actually kind of a good mental health period. Because we saw, I don't know, if, I mean, I'm, obviously I'm following the Flyers as well, but you look mm-hmm. at Carter Hart, they said, okay, we're just going to give him a few days off. We're going to, have him talk to some folks and kind of get recentered and rebuild his focus. When you have a goaltender like Hart, and I think this is true for Saros as well, who really has to read the play very well, has to make the mental decisions, has to kind of make up for different deficiencies. Saros being size, Hart's being more, he's not as physically gifted as a lot of other goaltenders. Giving them that time to mentally recover they can come out fresh and make those reads, make those decisions, be sharper, just be focused. It's the same thing while we take vacations from our jobs. You just need to sharpen up yourself up again. Um, and I think that that may be something that the Predators will will be hurt by as they move towards the playoffs if they can't give Soros some mental rest time. Um, they might be in trouble, but at the same time, they need him to play so they can make the playoffs and keep winning games. That's how tight it is. Yeah, he really does seem like the, I mean, the comparison with the 2010, 2011, 2012 Predators where Pecorini didn't get any rest and they played him every day, sometimes on back-to-backs, and he still was able to play in the playoffs and then paid for it with a, a, a massive surgery and a bunch of a bunch of injury time after that. But but he's, uh, like a, he's and, a physical goaltender. I mean, he's like, he's yeah. a big physical, like a Ben Bishop. They're just a yeah, you're right. about size and, Very different, and, yeah. and, ta- and, and the physical talent. They, yeah. They have to read the game, but it's not as vital as when you have a huge deficiency like That's size or, or the physical talent side of it, like yeah. agility. So uh, the the Predators get 15 of 16 possible points um, on Chicago. Y- yeah, of course you want that one game back, but that that is like just crazy production against one team. I mean, getting almost a perfect score against one team is pretty insane. I mean, you get it's it's difficult to even do that on a on a bad team. So, is anyone um, about, is anyone going to 8 and 0 the Red Wings this season? I have not looked. Uh, I, I think they have one win against every team. Uh, I'll have to go That sounds right. And look. Yeah, I don't think that but that's a little sad for Chicago. Yeah, cuz I, I, I know so. they were like uh back remember earlier this year where like Florida was like 15 and 2, something like that, 15 2 mm-hmm. and 1. Both oh, those yeah. two were against the Red Wings randomly. Right, like they were right, lining right, right. up Tampa and Dallas, but losing to Detroit. Man. Um, yeah, so it, it, the the Predators uh, finish off their season with the, the Blackhawks. Really, really good production against them. So uh, the just real quick, the injury situation. Uh, the, the main two injuries that are still uh, in the on the books for the Predators right now, Philip Forsberg still out, but he could be back soon. And then Dante Fabro is the other big one. Now, Alex Carrier, I'm calling, I would call him a major injury, but I really don't know when he's going to be back. He's technically out three to five weeks. That was April 1st. So I, I think like maybe playoffs, if he's, if, if they go to the playoffs, he, he might be available, but I really don't know. Uh, but Fabro and Forsberg seem like the next two that are going to come back. 
And so that kind of brings us to to what I wanted to to talk about today because I think that John Hines has maybe a difficult task in in at least one way. Uh, so I wanted to get y'all's take on this. So when Philip Forsberg comes back to the lineup, uh, there, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that Philip Forsberg makes the team like it, 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 ten times better. I mean, he's he's their most lethal, dangerous offensive weapon. He's a physical player. He makes every line mate better. He makes the power play better. Uh, he's he's just a, an all-around incredible talent on the Predators. So there's no doubt about him. And then there's Dante Fabro. <laughs> so uh, we, we don't exactly know where he's going to fit in with this. But th- the other thing about Philip Forsberg is where he fits in, he's going he's gonna to push someone else out, probably. He's going to make other lines shuffle around. Um, this is not an easy thing for John Hines to do n- n- just a few games before the playoffs could potentially hit. And oh, by the way, he's got to win all these games to get there. So mm-hmm. um, it's really a really pretty tough. And so I wanted to get y'all's take on uh, on where this where this might land and, and what happens when Forsberg and, and Fabro comes back. I guess I'll start on the Forsberg part because that's probably the easier one, and then then we'll talk about Fabro. But uh, uh, n- Let's start with Link. What what did you what do you think about what's what's going to happen when Forsberg comes back to the to the lineup uh, as you see it? Well, we'll start with the easy part, which is you have to obviously scratch a body, um, and it comes down to where you think people are most effective. I, I like the fourth line as it is. I mean, I like the Trenton Sisson Janot fourth line. Does does Janot get scratched out because Forsberg's coming back? Maybe, um, maybe that's what happens. I, as I, as I before we started recording, you know, I'm always a fan of scratching Eric Halla. Like, I think it's an obvious decision to make. I think if you need to keep the third line as as something that is some sort of threat or maybe a defensive focus line, I think it's really easy to scratch Halla. And then maybe you could move Cunning back down to that line. Maybe you could move Yarnkirk back to that down to that line because you need to in, in, in put Forsberg with. Uh, Try Forsberg out in the grand line. You know, there's a lot of shuffling, and then I kind of wrote down like three possibilities here in my in my in my actual notes. So you could, as I said, um, try Forsberg and Granlin. I think Granlin has been probably the most interesting center on this team. At least that's actually worked. Um, you know, Duchesne obviously now being shuffled down to the third line. Johansson apparently is like. I don't know. He just he's kind of allowed to be playing with great players, even if he's not always producing it much of anything. Um, I just that perplexes me to no end how Duchesne's the one who gets shuffled down the lineup where Johansson gets to play with Tolvin and Arvidsson. Um, so you could do that. And then it's a matter of what you do with Yarncroke. He's been really good. Do you try and play him on the right wing? Do you play Forsberg on the right wing and get Granlin um, and then have have Forsberg there? I mean, you could probably interchange a lot. Um, you could try and revitalize Duchesne by reuniting with Forsberg. That's historically been a really productive line as far as just generating offensive chances. Mm-hmm. So that just gives you like a brand new, that that scrambles everything. Because now you're moving Duchesne back somewhere else. And what happens to Granlin? He's been super effective. Um, or you just do the easy thing, which is just bump everyone down on the uh, the left wing. So, you know, Tolfinen goes down to the Granlin line. Yarkroke goes down to the, I don't know what you call it, the Cousins, Duchesne, Holla, the 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 leftover center line um, right. the, 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 uh, <laughs> I, you know it, there's a lot of scrambling that can be done and 
with as stable and effective as some of these lines have been lately, it'll be a shame if Forsberg gets times to resort to his line shuffling days. Um, but these are all, these are all great problems to have. That's what's made this so difficult is just, it's, it's a great problem to have figuring out where Forsberg is going to fit in this. Yeah. And one of the big things this year is if you listen to Hines in some of his press conferences, when people ask him about line and chemistry and stuff like that, he is big on line identity. And I know that kind of sounds like a weird, like coaching buzzword, but you know, you, you think about it. He he's talking about he wants the third line to play a certain way in certain situations. He wants to play the fourth line out there in certain situations and play a certain way. Uh, and that's very different than you know the past couple of years where it's just we talked about it earlier. It's like, hey, Kyle Turris doesn't have anything to do. Let's put him on yeah. the fourth line. Hey, we just got Wayne Simmons. Let's yeah. put him on the fourth line. And you're kind of seeing it this year with, um, you know, he he's kept that fourth line of uh, Jano Sissons and um, Trennan. Yeah, Yak Trennan. Yeah. Um, you know, he he's kept them together because they, you know, those are like the four or three best people that can play that fourth line situation. Um, yeah. The the key to who's going to be scratched. You know, let's say conventional wisdom, Tanner Janot's the new guy. He's scratch. Who from that, let's say the middle six right there, could jump to where uh, Janot is right now and play his role as well as he was? You know, you you look at somebody like Nick Cousins. That's exactly Um, what I was going to say. Yeah, Yeah. Nick Cousins would be perfect for there. Callie Yarncroke. Callie Yarncroke's a guy that you can literally put on anywhere in the top four lines, and he's going to kill it. Like, he's a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, He'll go out there and be your best fourth line guy. He'll go out there and contribute on the first line. So, you know, in in that regard, I would maybe, you know, put the way the lines are now, put uh, Forsberg with Granlund and Tolvanen because those are your two most intriguing Fords who are playing the best hockey right now. That's going to give you a surefire number one. And then from there, you just kind of shuffle down, see if yarn croaks a fit right there. Um, if cousins moves down to that fourth line spot, Cunning seems like a natural fit to play next to Duchesne. He has earlier this year and they both played pretty decent hockey together. Um, so, you know, there, there's options there. It's just a matter of if you take somebody out, who can fill that role the best? Can That's I a really good way of looking at it. Go ahead, Link. I want to say, Nick, I love the idea. And I know I mentioned a little bit, but but Forsberg and Granlin playing on a line together consistently. I mean, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of, of size and skill. I mean, that is that's the closest that I've seen the Predators to running almost like two guys who can sort of bring that classic power forward style to hockey that's sort of gone out of fashion in the past kind of five to ten years. And that, I mean, that could be really hard to play against for other teams, and no matter have, who you are. And if you have Yarn Croak on the other side, it's even even more physical and, or, and demanding for teams know, to deal with. Honestly, like, if you could get a raw, like, a, like if you took a Tolvin or an Arvidsson who's a raw shooter and put them on, on a line with Forsberg and Granlin. Uh, you know, you have to respect Forsberg at all times. Granlin's going to make you pay if you give him the room. And that means you can have that third forward really get open in good positions. 
Uh, and it just it just keeps drawing attention because when I think about a forward line that's trying to score, it, you know, you have to. I I love the identity concept. You have to have a lot of distractions. You have to manage that chaos. And two big bodies with a lot of talents, especially forward who can who can distract three players on his own. He can take on two defensemen, leaving the ice open for you know Granlin another forward to get in there and and get in position. There's a lot of really interesting possibilities that that line could bring to the table that I don't think the Predators have had in a while. And, go ahead, go ahead, Alex. Well, I was just going to say, so I, I think it's interesting y'all are coming up with this because I I, I actually have a, a pretty different direction um, for 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 what I would do. Uh, well, your direction well, sucks. Our direction's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, probably so. You're the contrarian uh, now. The other thing is, I, I all right. So I went back and looked at the the Predators their production over. Uh, since Forsberg left the lineup. So March 25th was his last game. Um, so they've had about 15 games since then. Uh, the Predators are actually not that great in terms of shot attempt percentage and expected goals, uh, Like, which did, which goes to the theory that I've had, that it's really been UC Soros that's been carrying the team over the last month and a half anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in addition to that, like I, I think that they, they need to protect the combinations that work uh, well and, and just try as best they can to repair the other ones. And Forsberg is a way to do that. So, so if you look at the actual, the, the, the combinations that have worked best since March 25th, the best one is the Trenton Sissons Geno combination. They, they have, they have actually been plus on the shot attempt side, plus on the expected goal side. And that's with like, 80% of their starts coming in the defensive zone. I mean, they, they've been so good. Like they've actually been one of the best, like producing lines. Now they're actually more of a, uh, low event kind of team. Like they, they, they really just shut down the other team. They don't generate a ton either way, but that has been a, a really important thing for the predators to have. So I think that if anyone should get scratched, it shouldn't be anyone on the, 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 the fourth line. Uh, and, but you now having said that, I'm really more or less saying what I think should happen and not what I think John Hines would do. I think your idea that Janot is the is the newcomer, he probably might get scratched. That's probably likely gonna happen. You're you're probably not wrong there. <laughs> um however, I think, you know, of all the of all the other combinations that have not really been working all that well, I mean, like Link said, the the cousins and Hala combination has not been great. I think Granland and Yarncroak, they they've actually not been great in terms of generating chances. They've just been really good defensively and they've been really good at um kind of stopping the the opponents and Luke Cunning has really not been a big part of that. He's actually been kind of worse. Um, so here's my thought. I think that you need to go back to Ryan Johansson with Ellie Tolvanen and Philip Forsberg, that combination Tolvanen, Johansson and Forsberg was just killer before Forsberg went out. I mean, it was such a good line. Johansson and Tolvanen since Forsberg has been out when, when Tolvanen came back, they've been really good together. Arvidsson, not so much. So I think that Forsberg just goes right back into the top line with Ellie Tolvanen, Ryan Johansson. That line will be an elite offensive production line. And Arvidsson drops down to the third line, or I'm sorry, to the second line with Yarncroak and Granlund. And you be, you you scratch either Halla or Cousins on the third line or Cunnan, whoever you want. And don't forget, we got Rucko Grimaldi out there too. So he could come in and, and start on the third line as well with Matthew Shane. But I think the two things you need to protect is you need to protect your best offensive line, which is the top line, and you need to protect your 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 best overall line, which is your fourth. Everything else in between is like 
you know, you've got some pieces. Put Arbitson in there. Put Luke Cunning in there. Put Rocco Grimaldi. Ben, scratch either Eric Holla or Nick Cousins. I guess probably Link would go with Eric Holla. And uh, just do what you can on the middle six and protect your top and your fourth lines. Yeah, I mean, that fourth Predators line is given kind of those, uh, you know, 2011 Bruins vibes, old Grindline vibes, where, you know, you can put them up against a top line from an opponent and, you know, get some good hockey out of them and get some shutdown hockey out of them. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I think that uh, Ryan Johansson, you know, even though his production may not be where it should, is still putting out good effort is still creating some decent plays and some decent chances. And I think if you put two shooters next to him, including one Forsberg, who's a little bit more of a go get the puck, whereas, you know, mm-hmm. Tolvin is just, Hey, set it up to me in my spot. I'll get it. Yeah. I, I think that's a lethal combination. Um, you know, is it, is it fair to say that Tolvin is kind of a better version of what they thought Arvidsson was going to turn into? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Ar- Arvidsson has, uh, his career is so strange because it's like, he, he has this, like, he has this one gear and he just always goes with it. But he also like tries to be like this top line center who makes these crazy passes and tries to see things that aren't there. And it's like every, every game you will see something, you'll see Arvidsson do something, do one thing that is like an incredibly skilled play and it works. And then six more times he tries to do something else that ne- doesn't work at all. And it's really funny to watch because yeah, well, he's he's I mean, very skilled, but he thinks he's a little bit more skilled than he is. I mean, at least half those things that don't come off are slap shots on the top of the circle. So let's yeah. we, we gotta we gotta temper that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So so Forsberg there. Uh, it, it's uh, that's an easier one, or maybe maybe it's maybe it's the harder one now that now that we've talked about it. Because now let's talk about Dante Fabro because the defense has been a little bit more in flux uh, with a, a, new, a newcomer, Eric Goodbranson. Uh, you had guys going out for injury like Alex Carrier. Jeremy Davies is all of a sudden being scratched when Goodbranson gets here. Uh, where does Matt Benning go? He's starting to to really not c- continue to not really make a lot of sense in <laughs> certain areas. Uh, Ekholm Ellis has been fine. Roman Yossi is obviously always going to be good. What do you do with Dante Fabro when he comes back? Where do you Where do you put him? Nick, why don't you go first? Well, uh, you mentioned Matt Benning's not in a great place right now on that first pair, so that seems like a natural fit for Dante Fabro. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it because I know a lot of people have kind of jumped on the uh, the Dante Fabro judgment train over uh, his two years. I mean, he's, a, what, 22 years I think, old? I think Link is driving that train, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he's the conductor of that, of that engine. But I mean, I mean, look, he's he's 22 years old. He's playing a lot better this year than he was last year. Uh, even before the injury, he was playing a lot better the second half of the year than he was those first, you know, two, three weeks of the season. So he's growing. And I, I think from a style standpoint, playing with Yossi makes sense because you don't have to ask Dante Fabro to do too much. It seems like, you know, one of the reasons his pairing with uh, Matthias Ekholm hasn't exactly been great is because, you know, Ekholm seems like more of the stay at home guy in that pair while Fabro's the more, you know, go out and make crazy plays happen, go get the puck, go drive the play. This seems like a more better fit uh, for Fabro next to Yossi. And as you mentioned, I, I love the, 
Um, I, I love Ekholm and Ellis together. Um, that is very much a, a throwback pair. Um, you know, I, I thought it might just be temporary, but I think they've, they've shown that they, they gel together a little bit than maybe some of the other pairings. I mean, unless you just want, you know, Yossi and Ellis back together to have that, you know, shut down number one. The, right. The, the more interesting thing to me is going to be uh, what happens on that bottom pair. Um, you know, yeah, because, because because I do think Benning has played well. I mean, he's not going to be a uh, Norris Trophy finalist or anything, but I think he's played well for what you want Matt Benning to be. Mm-hmm. So I guess from that point is just Harper or Good Branson. I mean, I, I go back to the idea of, um, and I, I wrote this note down specifically when we were talking about defense, is if we think about if Heinz applies the line identity to defensive pairings, because I actually wrote this when I was when I was doing my notes of saying, well, is having Harper and Goodbrinson down there an identity? Is it about having really kind of big, tough-looking guys on your third pairing who can shove people around? I mean... Whether or not he's physical, Ben Harper looks imposing on the ice. You see him, he's like, I forget he's playing hockey sometimes, but then I see him like, who's that giant, giant Predators player? And I'm like, oh, it's Ben Harper. I forgot. And then you add Goodbrinson, who's, you know, got that, that reputation of being a hard-nosed defender, regardless of his quality. Uh, and you have an identity to your third pairing. Uh, and I don't think that there's any other defenseman on the active roster who fits that? I mean, you know, when if Borovsky was healthy tomorrow, yeah, you could probably stick him down there, and he would fit in there perfectly in terms of the identity. Um, as far as Benning, I, I think I mean I think Benning has generally played better this season than Fabro, but he's been in, obviously playing third pairing minutes primarily, and he's struggled a bit when you've moved him up with Yossi. because Benning does kind of want to be the guy that gets forward. But when he was with Borovsky, that worked because Borovsky was not really trying to get forward. Benning could could play that role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there is an interesting experiment in trying Faber with Yossi again. I mean, it didn't really work last season, but you know that was a younger, more doe-eyed Dante Fabro. So maybe trying it again now, give it a few more repetitions. Uh, yeah. See if you can't get something going where Faber doesn't have quite as much pressure to make things happen. Um, he can just try that... and be responsible, though he does get turned around more than I'd like on defense. So that worries me a little bit that if the puck does come back to him, he's going to get turned around and there's going to be some breakaways um, because of that. But you won't know until you try. Like I trust Ben and a little bit, bending a little bit more, not to get turned around and, and to to get back. Um, but I think that this is one area that I would really be okay with Heinz experimenting through the end of the season is finding that right structure with Benning with, with Fabra coming back. I, I would agree with what Nick said as well, that uh, I think bringing, if, if they brought, when Fabro comes back, if he was to play with Ekholm, I don't know if that would be the best decision that, that the, the Ekholm Fabro pairing had some pretty dark moments uh, early on in the year um, really struggled. And I mean, if anything, like familiarity might just kind of they they might resort back to some some really just bad chemistry that that happened there, and it has nothing to do with either individual player. It's just like sometimes they don't mesh. And Ekholm and Ellis have great chemistry; they 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 work well together. And Roman Yossi works well with anybody. So I think it just makes sense to to put those pieces back there. 
Um, you know, people people talk about the bottom pairing. We, you know, if every year we talk about the bottom pairing of the of the Nashville Predators because it's got some some issues or whatever. Um, that's been true forever. Um, ben Harper has been better than we thought he would be. So I would say also Eric Goodbranson has been better than we thought he'd be, and Matt Benning's about been about as good as we thought he would be. Um, maybe maybe a little bit worse on the offensive end, but he's been he's been okay. There are other players that, uh, you know, if they were like, if Alex Carrier was to come back, I would feel better putting Alex Carrier in there because he was really good. Uh, and maybe even Jeremy Davies. I, I, I'm i still kind of thinking that, that that guy could be a contributor on this team in the playoffs as well um, if something were to happen. The, Erica Branson, you know, I was thinking more about this. The, the, the acquisition of Erica Branson, you know, didn't make a lot of sense to some people. I think actually it probably just tells you more that, that Mark Borowiecki is probably just done for the year. They got a replacement. Mark Borowiecki is what they did. Um, because we don't know anything about his injury and he doesn't seem to be back coming back anytime soon. So, um, that could be more, uh, of what that is, but is it weird that the predators are basically mining the Ottawa senators for third pairing defensemen? Yeah, it's not a good look. Also, uh, also top six centers. Also oh, that top just six centers. that just hurts. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Colin White, welcome to Nashville in twenty twenty three. Ottawa South. Uh, it's not a good look, but uh, to be, to be fair, but uh, no, Ottawa South will be what happens if the Predators don't make the playoffs and don't make any trades in the offseason, don't structure for a rebuild. They're they're heading for Ottawa South. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. To your, um, to your point, though, um, when you talk about people talking about the third pair, because this is always seems to be, you know, you, you get the two types of people. You get the why are we talking about the bottom pair and the bottom pairs losing us games? Yeah, it's that's probably true. So, it's probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, let's mm-hmm. be honest. There's hockey players that go out there. You just don't want to notice them all game. Mm-hmm. That's and that comes off as like kind of a weird condescending way of saying stuff but if i can go an entire game and not notice ben harper that's not a bad thing because it's fine yeah because that means ben harper's not doing anything to make like cost a goal to make a big mistake those that's kind of what you want from your bottom pair and the reason we've been talking about it the past couple years is because those bottom pair defensemen suddenly became really noticeable when you had like Matt Irwin and Yannick Weber and, um, you know, Dan Jared Ten- yeah, Jared Tenorti last year, you know, just sort of actively making mistakes and big moments. Um, so yeah, I like over, to wrap it all up. I, I don't think I've noticed um, Erica Branson much since he's been here. Um, you know, Benning, you kind of see him a little bit more just because he's on the top line now. But yeah, I mean, they've mm-hmm. they've gotten what you want from your bottom pair. Yeah. Yeah, they're not bad. So uh, that's a very good point. Uh, a, a lot of it is perspective. So um, I guess we'll see what happens. We, we've got a, the, the Predators have three games this week, two against Florida on Monday and Tuesday back to backs. Um a very strange home and home back to back. And then the big one is this is next Saturday against Dallas, where um, could be for all the marbles, as they say. So um, that, that'll be a, a big game. The, the Predators are what up two or up four points and Dallas has games in hand. So 
Um, it's going to come down to that. I think, uh, of course they got to take care of business against Florida first, which is not going to be easy. So, um, how, how do you, what are we thinking about this week? Do the, the, the Predators have a chance to uh, to put it all away and and uh, and and clinch a playoff spot somehow? Do they have a chance? Yeah, I mean, of course they have a chance. Whether they do it, it's tough to say. I mean, Florida is a team that can come out and surprise you. Um, they also are a team with vulnerabilities. So you know, if if the Predators can come out of this series of games with Probably they, they need to split the series with Florida at least, and they need to beat Dallas. I mean, it, in reality, they need all six points. I mean, it, everything about Dallas scares me, especially if the team, if, if Dallas kind of hits their stride, um, which I keep saying. I keep saying if Dallas hits their stride, and it looks like they're maybe finding their footing. Um, and right. that's that's scary for Nashville because they don't need a lot of traction to, to bump the Predators out of the place. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing working in favor of the Preds in regards to Dallas is Dallas's schedule is also wild for the past uh, for the last bit. I think they have it this is. year uh, two against Carolina, and then Tampa, and then Nashville this week, and then they they close with Florida, Tampa, and Chicago uh, for the rest of the year. The other thing about Dallas uh, Tuesday is their last home game of the year. So they're going to be on the road for the rest of the season. You know, maybe is there some sort of X factor travel tiring out? Is that going to work in their favor? So, you know, yeah, Dallas does have two games in hand, but those two games in hand aren't going to be, you know, giving points either. Yeah, I don't know. The road trip could be that they kind of forge their relationship and fire and make them strong. You know, it's always that uh, that team building road trip. You know, the, the coaches talk was like the first team building road trip of the year where you're on the road for like two weeks or something. Like now we're we're all brothers in arms. I'm like, I guess I don't know. <laughs> seem, how we, seem you to, how we hate each other. Seemed to work out great for the Preds Winter Classic last year. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, no, nothing nothing bad happened after that. Look at look at that pup. Link is showing us a, a, a video of his pup live. Yeah, she was getting a little too whiny for my taste, so I decided to let her out, and I was worried oh, she, had to, she was going to ring the the pee bells. No, no problem. Um, so I, I we should probably we should probably go ahead and wrap it up so that the pee bells get rung that they can be answered. Uh, if you can check out all of our hockey coverage at a to z sportsnational.com. You can follow me on Twitter at alexdarty one. Follow Link on Twitter at three D Link. Nick, what is your Twitter handle? Throw that I, out there. For I am underscore ns morgan underscore ns morgan and and we can see your writings and podcastings on on the four check correct that is correct uh, should have a new episode up sometime this week sometime this week usually you guys record like once a week something like that we do yeah uh obviously depends on schedules because uh, we're all crazy personal lives over here but uh yeah usually once a week sometime monday tuesday or wednesday so keep right out nice okay um all right so that's gonna do it for us any final thoughts from anyone link you have any final thoughts probably not right i am i'm gonna go chase down a pup and i'm gonna go hopefully <laughs> watch tottenham with some silverware today there you go there you go Nick, I mean, any final thoughts for us? no other than uh thanks for having me on guys it's been fun yeah of glad course, to yeah. have you nick it was great definitely thanks a lot all right we'll see everyone next week <laughs>